0: First of all, uh, a little bit of background to what I'm going to read. I am especially going to call your attention to verses 11 through 14. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul stopped what he was doing to take up another subject. The Apostle Paul had been teaching dispensational truth up to this point. Specifically, the Apostle Paul had been trying to show these Hebrew Christians the reality of what we would call progressive revelation. Now, that's just another way of saying the Apostle Paul believed in different dispensations. While the Apostle Paul believed that God was immutable, God did not change. God's principles never change, but his way of doing things do change. And specifically, we call that progressive revelation. The Apostle Paul was trying to teach these Hebrew Christians that the Lord Jesus Christ was the sum total of all truth which had been foreshadowed in the Old Testament. You have to appreciate and remember that these Old Testament saints had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. They had seen both his person and his work, but they had only seen it from a distance. They had only seen the shadows. They knew something of Jesus Christ, but they saw him only through the smoke and the fire of sacrificial animals. They saw him only through ritual and ceremony and sacrifices and priesthood and temple. They saw him at a distance. Now the apostle Paul wants to teach these Hebrew Christians that all of the smoke of the animal sacrifices gone. All of the ritual, all of the ceremony, all that was associated with that which was shadow has now disappeared because in place of the shadow,
1: there's the reality.
0: It's for this reason throughout the book of Hebrews that we find 13 times the Apostle Paul saying better. 13 times. Better, better, better. Better than what? You see, he's making the transition. He's trying to get them out of the old into the new. He's trying to bring them on to perfection. And he says, here's the old. But over here is something better. And every time he says better, he's turning. He's making a transition. The old, better. That wasn't to mean that this was not good. It was good. Don't ever minimize what the Old Testament saints don't ever minimize what God had promised the nation of Israel. It was grand and glorious, and if you'd lived there, you'd have loved it. It was good. But whatever we have now in Christ, in this wonderful age of grace, is not only good, it is better. So 13 times the Apostle Paul says, better, better, better. God's been so good. and That's why we applaud His great grace. That's why there's a smile and a song in our heart and on our face. There is a glad countenance when we talk about the age of grace. It's because it's better. The Apostle Paul in these passages of Scripture was saying, Jesus Christ is better than angels. Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. He's saying that the Lord Jesus Christ is better than Moses. Hebrews chapter 3. He's saying that the Lord Jesus Christ is better than Joshua, Hebrews chapter 4. And now, in Hebrews chapter 5, he is saying that the Lord Jesus Christ is better than Aaron, the high priest. And he is, furthermore, better than Melchizedek, the high priest. Better in every way. The Apostle Paul has a lot to say to these Hebrew Christians with regards to dispensational truth. There is so much that he wants to show them, so many better things. He wants them to grasp the reality of a transition. He wants to bring them on to perfection, Hebrews 6.1. But he can't do it. In fact, he says here in Hebrews chapter 5, in the 11th verse, of whom we have many things to say. You see, he had many things to say about the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and Aaron and Melchizedek. He wanted to show them the supreme greatness of Jesus Christ as he contrasts the ministry, the person and the work of Aaron and Melchizedek with the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's full and bubbling over. He's preaching from the overflow of his life and he wants them to see it. But he can't. He says it's hard to be explained. It's hard to be uttered. Some translations read it, it's hard to be interpreted. Now there are three reasons as far as I can tell why something would be hard to be explained or hard to be understood or hard to be uttered or hard to be interpreted. Number one, it may very well be that The teacher is not fully instructed. That may very well be why some congregations and groups of believers never seem to grow, is perhaps just perhaps the leadership is not prepared. Just perhaps the teacher, the preacher, the pastor is not fully instructed. That may be one reason why people have a hard time grasping spiritual truth. Now that wasn't Paul's problem here. Paul says, I've got a lot more to say than you can take. That's what he's saying. Another reason why people may find it hard to understand or grasp is that the subject may be very deep and difficult. And certainly there are many things about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ that are deep and difficult. But I don't believe that's the case here. And that's the third reason why I believe that some people just never grow Some people just never have an understanding. They find certain things hard to be interpreted, hard to be understood. And sometimes the preacher even has a hard time of uttering them because, as the Apostle Paul says here, these Hebrew Christians have a low spiritual IQ. They were spiritually lazy. They were indifferent to spiritual things. Now, some people read Hebrews chapters 4 and 5 and say, Aha! These people were just professors of Christianity. They were not possessors. And I disagree with that interpretation wholeheartedly because the Apostle Paul does not say of these people, You're dead. He says, You're dull. Now, some dull people may appear to be dead, but they're not dead at all. He says, You're dull of hearing. And that means, in fact, the original Greek here says they were slothful. They were mentally lazy. They were indifferent. In fact, the Greek has the word became. It says you have become dull. You have become slothful. You have become lazy in your hearing. So you see, they became something that they were not. Apparently, there, these Christians had made some progress after the point of salvation in the Christian way of life. They had grown some, but suddenly now they would gotten laced. They were indifferent. And so it was a problem to the Apostle Paul. He ran up against a barrier. How could he teach something to people who were not prepared to receive it? How could he get past this barrier? How could he give something to people that they had no capacity to receive? And so for that reason, the Apostle Paul, in his desire to explain these dispensational truths, he realizes that in order to get around this barrier, he must put aside his study. So chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and part of verse 5, he is teaching dispensational truth. He is teaching a transition from the good to the better. But he now must lay aside that subject, and from chapter 5, verse 11, clear through chapter 6 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul takes up the subject of Christian maturity. He has got to get these dull, lazy, indifferent Christians awake. He has got to get them off of dead center. He's got to get them going. He's got to get them growing. And if he can get them going and growing and becoming mature Christians instead of baby Christians, then he can take up his original subject. And that he does. You can read it for yourself. In verse 20 of chapter 6, he picks up where he left off. And he again starts talking about Melchizedek, the high priest and the Lord Jesus Christ who is after the order of Melchizedek. And then he goes on, chapter 7. So he then picks up his same subject of progressive truth Dispensational truth, but in the meantime, he takes up this subject of spiritual maturity. And so we read now, verse 11, 12, 13, and 14. Of whom? Meaning of Christ, of Christ and his relationship to Aaron, a high priest, of Christ and his relationship to Melchizedek, a high priest. Of Christ, who is better than both, both. of Christ, who is the reality of what Aaron foreshadowed. Aaron as the high priest represented Christ the high priest in his humiliation. Melchizedek as a high priest was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ the high priest in his exaltation. So in both respects, both in his exaltation and in his humiliation, Jesus Christ is better than Aaron, he is better than Melchizedek. So the apostle Paul says of whom, meaning of these things, Christ, Aaron, Melchizedek. We have many things to say and hard to be uttered, hard to be understood, hard to be interpreted. Seeing ye are not dead, but dull. Seeing ye are become dull or lazy or slothful of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again which be the first principles, the ABCs, the basic doctrines of Christ, of his person, of his work, of salvation, of sin, of repentance, of of regeneration, of reconciliation, of justification. You have need that someone teach you again the first ABCs, the principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful, hath no experience in the word of righteousness. I believe that to be reference to practical Christian living. You have no experience. If you're just using the milk of the Word, the ABCs of the Word of God, you have no experience in practical holiness. That just is another way of saying Christian living. You have no experience in the growth process of Christianity. Verse 14. For he is a babe, but strong meat. Belongeth to them that are of full age, mature, perfect, even those who by reason of use, repetition, have their senses, their spiritual senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now there are four things very quickly that I want to teach. you. Number one, it is quite obvious to see here that there is a contrast in spiritual development. You'll notice in verse 13, there is first of all the babies. Verse 13, for he is a babe, a baby Christian. Now in contrast to a baby Christian, and this is to help us to understand Christian maturity. There is the development from baby to those who are of full age, mature. Then also another contrast. There are some believers who use meat. And this is to give us the concept of growth. There are those who use milk, and in way of contrast, there are those who use meat. The baby drinks the milk, and the mature person eats the meat. Now, a baby can never eat meat, but here's an interesting point. A mature person can enjoy both meat and milk. Now, what person is there who has not achieved some measure of spiritual maturity, who does not occasionally enjoy going back to some of the milk? We enjoy both. For only the mature believer has the well-balanced diet between milk and meat. So first of all, we have the contrasts. These contrasts show us the difference between spiritual childhood and spiritual adulthood. These same contrasts are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3, only we have one more dimension in 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3. First of all, there's the natural man. He's way over here. The natural man... Cannot receive the things of God. He cannot, he does not, he will not have the ability, he does not have the capacity to perceive, to understand, to receive anything from God, for they are foolishness unto him. So that's category number one. That's the dead one. Dead in trespasses and sins. Let not the natural man think that he ever receives anything from God. Let him not make the mistake he thinks he knows anything about God because he knows. He can't even receive anything from God. Why? Because he's natural. He's unsaved. He's not born again. Now, there are a lot of people who are religious, but don't, please, do not make the the, the mistake of thinking that religion can somehow or another transform a natural man into a spiritual man. He cannot receive anything from God. And in 1 Corinthians, when we have another stage of development, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, I had a lot of things to say to you too, but they were the meat of the word, but I could not feed you the meat of the word. I had to treat you as babies and I fed you the milk of the word. Why? Because you're carnal. Those are the dull ones. They should have grown. Now there's a place for babies, but nobody ought to stay a baby very long. The Corinthians were out of line and these Hebrews were out of line because both the Corinthians and the Hebrews had had sufficient time to grow out of their babyhood. They should have at least been spiritual adolescents or spiritual teenagers and maybe most of them, especially these Hebrews. These Hebrews had had the gospel for 30 years. They had plenty of time to outgrow their babyhood and be mature believers. And then in that very same passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul says that it's the spiritual man. All things belong to the spiritual man. Why? Because the spiritual man not only has a revived human spirit, but he has the Holy Spirit in control, and therefore he is able to judge all things by comparing, read it for yourself, by comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. That means... The human spirit is in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit teaches the human spirit. That's what's the process of spiritual maturity. Secondly, I want you to see the means of spiritual development. The means of spiritual development is, as we've already suggested, meat and milk, or milk and meat, both. You'll never mature unless you have both. You need both. Do not despise milk. Milk is absolutely essential. There's nothing like mother's milk. It's necessary. It's essential. A baby cannot eat meat. That baby has no capacity to eat meat. That baby would choke on meat. Milk is necessary. But not only milk, there is also meat. And you put the two together, milk and meat, a balanced diet, brings maturity. Let me suggest that the fact that in 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3 and here in Hebrews chapter 5 we have mention of milk and meat implies that there are stages of development. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 we are told as newborn babies... Desire the sincere milk of the word. Now, if you're a newborn Christian, God says here's what you're to eat milk, 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 milk. And then sooner or later you'll develop a taste for some meat. Desire the milk. There's a place for milk. In Second Peter chapter three eighteen, it implies development, but grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a stage of development. We go from milk to meat. That's another way of God saying to you that as a believer, you ought to be growing. And that's what Paul's trying to teach these Hebrews. The Apostle Paul has some meat to give mature believers, those who have fully developed, but he can't feed it to them. They'll choke on it. He says, I have many things to say, but I can't teach it to you because you're on, a, you're on dead center. You're at a standstill. You have become dull of hearing and lazy. You need to get off a of dead center and you need to move on. Go on to perfection. You need to grow up. Get off the milk. It also implies a passage of time. Please notice in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. For when? For the time. You ought to be teachers. You have need that one teach you again. In other words, he is saying you've had sufficient time to be mature believers. And that implies a passage of time. It's wrong. It's wicked. It's wrong. For some pious believer to look down a long pious nose at a baby Christian and expect a baby Christian to act like a mature Christian if he hasn't had time to become a mature Christian. But it's another thing to see a a baby Christian who has had plenty of time to become a mature Christian. That's tragic. So what we're saying here is that it it, it implies not only stages of development, it implies also that it takes time to go from stage to stage. A man does not go from babyhood to spiritual adulthood overnight. The tragedy, of course, is when it takes longer than normal. Let me also explain to you what I mean by milk and meat. I believe that milk and meat both has to do with the area of doctrine and the depth of doctrine. So when the Apostle Paul here is saying to these Hebrews, milk... He means that there's a certain area of doctrine that is milk doctrine. I think he is also saying that there is a certain depth to that doctrine that is milk. I think he is also saying, now when I talk about meat, there's a certain area of doctrine that's meat. I think he is also saying there's a certain depth to doctrine that is meat. Let me see if I can explain. For example, I would consider meat to be such doctrines as predestination, election, decrees, Doctrine of providence. If I were to feed a baby Christian on the doctrine of predestination and election built on the doctrine of decrees and providence, I'd choke him to death. I think that's deep doctrine. I think there are certain dispensational facets that belong in the area of deep doctrine. The Apostle Paul acknowledged that. He said to the Corinthians, he said, I determined to know nothing among you, Corinthians, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But when it comes to preaching this hidden wisdom, now most believers don't even know what I'm talking about when I say that. What is the hidden wisdom? 99.9% of all believers today do not know and do not have the capacity to understand the doctrine of the mystery. The Apostle Paul says that hidden wisdom I reserve to preach to those who are perfect, to those who are mature. I think we make a mistake in teaching some areas of dispensational truth to new believers. I don't think they can take it. I think it's deep doctrine. I think it's meat. Paul wouldn't teach it. He would not. You hear me now. The Apostle Paul would not teach certain areas of dispensational truth to a new believer. He would not teach it to a baby Christian. He would not teach it to somebody who was dull of hearing. Impossible. He says that. You can read it for yourself. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I think there are certain areas of doctrine. For example, I think it's the depth as well. For example, I could talk about the doctrine of salvation. I could talk about the doctrine of grace. I could talk about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I could talk about the doctrine of the Word. I could talk about doctrine of prophecy, or I could talk about the doctrine of the second coming. And I think that most of that immediately conjures up milk. And I I guess I have to agree. That's where we get started, doctrine of salvation. But make no mistake about it, there are certain parts of the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Christian's walk, that goes much deeper than milk. It's deep, it's meat. And don't think just because you've heard the doctrine of salvation that that is automatically milk. Listen, there's a lot of meat in the doctrine of salvation. There's a lot of meat in the doctrine of prophecy. There's a lot of meat in the doctrine of the second coming. There's a lot of meat in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of meat in the doctrine of grace. So I think that milk and meat is determined both by the area of doctrine and the depth of doctrine. The tragedy comes when there's an unbalanced diet, and secondly, when the normal stages of development are not achieved after the normal passage of time. And this was the problem of these Hebrew Christians. Now, in this same passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 5, we have the characteristics of spiritual infancy. So the Apostle Paul is not content with uh, making an accusation, an indictment. He's really indicting these believers. He is preaching. He's putting his whole heart and soul into it. He is preaching from an overflow of his life, and suddenly he realizes he's not getting anywhere, and he says, hold it! How am I going to do this? i got lots of things to say, but I can't say them to you. And so the Apostle Paul indicts them. He said, you're dull, you're lazy. But he is not content only to make the indictment. He illustrates it. He goes on. He expands on it. And so he gives them some of the characteristics of spiritual infancy or babyhood. Now, before I do that, he mentions three things. Let me show you that the Apostle Paul has approached this problem elsewhere. And I suspect that if the Apostle Paul had the problem with the Ephesians, if he had the problem with the Corinthians, if he had the problem elsewhere in the Bible with different churches, it's just possible he might have some of those problems that were in the Ephesians church, the Colossians church, the Hebrew church, and he might just have some of those problems here. And it could very well be that there are some who are stuck on milk. And they'll never get any further. They'll never grow up into the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll never learn anything about the Christian way of life and how to live it because they're stuck. And so I looked up some of the things that the Apostle Paul said about baby Christians. For example, he said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that a baby was one who was tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Now, I don't know what you do with that picture, or that statement, but I picture in my mind a baby. tossed to and fro, lullaby, and night. la la la. What's that Rockaby baby in a treetop? What am I doing with the baby? Tossing him to and fro, right? Isn't that what you do with the baby? Well, I'm putting some of you to sleep. Uh, that's what he's talking about. He is saying that children, be no more children, babies, tossed to and fro by every wind of dock. Now, if you're tossed to and fro by every little thing that comes along, there's no stability about what you believe, mark it down. Baby. You're a baby. Number two, the Apostle Paul says that babies are men followers. He called the Corinthians babies. I could not speak to you as unto spiritual, but I had to speak to you as unto babies because you were carnal. And he says, you're men followers. And here they were. In their tongue when they say, I'm not going to, They're saying, I'm a Paul. They're a Paul. And they're a Peter. And they're of Apollos. And then there were the super spiritual babies over here saying, I'm a Christ. And he says, You're babies. They were men followers. He said, You don't have any idea what you're talking about. You don't realize that Paul is nothing and Peter is nothing and Apollos is nothing. What, you, realize, what you, you fail to realize that even Christ is the foundation. No other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid. You even misplace Christ. And who are we? We're nothing. One of us plants a seed and another one waters it and God gives the increase. So let me say this. If in your Christian life you can't get beyond personalities... then you're a baby. You're a man follower. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 14 to 17, the Apostle Paul says that babies sleep a lot. That means they're backslidden. And that's why he says, let us awake. Let's no longer be those of the night, but let's be awake. Let's awaken out of our sleep. He wants to awaken some of the babies uh, and make them aware of their backslidden condition. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18, he says these same babies fuss a lot. They cause quarrels and divisions. And he says, I partly believe it. You ever watch babies? They fuss a lot. They quarrel a lot. They get mad at each other a lot. And if you're the kind of a Christian who's always fussing, you're a baby. No question about it. Mark it down. That's what the Bible says. Not my philosophy. I didn't suck that one out of the end of my thumb. That's Bible. God says if you're a fussy Christian, you're a baby Christian. If you're a quarreling Christian, you're a baby Christian. You can read it for yourself. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18. Now, in the text, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. First of all, he says, these baby Christians are baby Christians because they're dull of hearing. Do you know what that means? That's a characteristic of a baby. It means they have severed themselves off from the very thing that can cause them to grow. You see, if a person is dull of hearing, if they're lazy hearers, they come to church and they're just doing their duty and they open that 16-inch Schofield Bible and soundly go to sleep. And they occupy about all that can be said about some Christian is that they occupy anywhere from 18 to 25 inches of pew, depending on their size. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, that that kind of a person has cut himself off from the very source, the very, the very heart of Christian growth. What does the Bible say? Romans chapter 10, verse 17. That faith cometh by hearing. What kind of faith? You see, we go from faith to faith. There are degrees of faith. Faith, maturity, cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So characteristic number one. A baby is characterized by lack of knowledge. He doesn't know the Bible. And you mark it down. You will never get out of the babyhood stage into the adult stage apart from knowledge of the Word of God. It all begins there. Sure, you get saved. That opens the door. But from there on, you grow Grow, grow, study, study, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly, dividing the word of truth. Having your mind transformed. How do you have your mind transformed so that you might approve what is the will of God? Word of God. And so these people are characterized by dull of hearing, which means they don't know the Bible. So point number one, a baby is one who is ignorant. How much does a baby know? A baby has no knowledge. And the Apostle Paul is saying to these Hebrew believers, you don't have any knowledge. You're a baby. You're ignorant. Secondly, the Apostle Paul is saying to these believers, if you'll notice in verse 12, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers. That means that they ought to have been productive. In other words, he is saying, you've had sufficient time to go from baby to adult and as an adult, you should be a teacher. That means you should be, a, you should be productive. Now, who would deny that in, every, in some respect, every believer is a teacher? I don't think any of you would contest that statement. We are all teachers. Now, some have a specific gift of teaching, but every one of us influences somebody. Who is to deny that the mother should be a teacher in the home? Sure should. Who's to deny that the father should be a teacher of Christian principles in the home? Sure, sure. Who is to deny that we all do not influence and teach people on the job, in the office, at the school, at work, wherever we may be, at play? We all teach. You know what that is? That's production. And the Apostle Paul is saying, look, here, you people are babies. Number one, you don't know anything. And number two, you, you, you are not producing yourself. By the way, it's a progressive problem. A man who has no knowledge cannot reproduce. And do you know a baby that can reproduce? Not even in the physical world. A baby must acquire knowledge. He must acquire stature. He must move from babyhood to a measure of maturity before he can physically reproduce himself. And that's what Paul is saying to these people. Look, you don't know the word of God, you're dull of hearing. And number two, you've had sufficient time to reproduce yourself, to teach, to influence people, and you're not doing that. So number two, what is the second characteristic of a baby Christian? He's not productive. He's fruitless. And then finally, the Apostle Paul is saying here that they are unskilled in the word. Verse 13, for everyone that uses milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. Now one who is unskilled here is one who lacks judgment in applying the scripture. That's what he's saying. You're unskilled in the word. You've had no experience in using the Word of God. And that's that's often characterized by somebody who is always, always wanting somebody else to live their Christian life for them. And there's always somebody, some baby Christian, who is always bothering some other Christian by saying, well, brother, do you think it's right or wrong? Do you think I ought to do this or that? Do you think... Always wanting somebody else to make the judgments of their Christian life for them. Just because one has been under sound Bible teaching for a long period of time does not mean that that person is spiritually mature. You are not spiritually mature if you must always be asking, is it right or wrong? You are not mature if you are unable to take the principles of the Word of God and determine for yourself your own proper course of action. You're unskilled in the Word. No knowledge, no productivity, and no way, you have no ability to, to make application to yourself. So if you're constantly saying, "What do I?" You know, I read the Bible and it doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, oh me, oh my. What do I do about this? Should I do this? Shouldn't I do that? Problems come. You don't know how to apply the Word of God to them. Decisions must be made. You don't know how to apply the Word of God to them. You know what that is? That's immaturity. Mark it down. If you do not know how to live your life every day, every day, every day, every day, day influenced by the Word of God, application of the Word of God, translating the Word of God from principle to precept, or from precept to, to example, translating it into your life, then you're a baby. Now, the fourth thing, and very briefly, and that is, we also have the characteristics of spiritual maturity. And let me say this. I believe the characteristics, then, of spiritual maturity answer to the three deficiencies of spiritual adolescence or babyhood. In adolescence, there are three things. No knowledge of the Word of God, no productivity, and no application. No proper judgment in one's life. And I think that we have the counterpart over here. I think that it is safe to say that, number one, a mature believer is one who knows the Bible. He is one who has studied the Bible. He is one who has listened. He is one who has taken notes. He is one who has taken his Bible home and studied. He's one who is in church when the church doors are open. He is one who maybe even gets tape recordings and listens to them. He's studying. He's studying. He's studying. He's studying. There's no substitute for study. That's knowledge. And you don't get anywhere unless you get the knowledge first. So I think that it's safe to say that a mature believer is one who is skilled in the word. He is one who knows the Word. He has knowledge. He has knowledge of the Word of God. Secondly, I believe that the characteristic of a mature believer is one who is a teacher. He puts the use, he puts to use the truth that he has learned for others' benefit. Now, here's an interesting observation. A lot of people come to church to set, to get what they can get for themselves. And that's it. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. I hope when you come to church, you come to church to get something for yourself. But if that's your only reason to coming to church, that's number one selfish and that's childish. If you are not coming to church, if you are not studying the Bible, studying the Bible, studying the Bible, number one, to get something for yourself, but also to get something to give away. If you're not doing that, you're childish. But if you are doing it, it is a mark of maturity. It is a mark of of adulthood. Being able to teach others Also, you've got to learn to give it away. And then finally, that individual who is a mature believer is one who has good judgment. Let me look at verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to those that are of full age, mature. Even those who by reason of use, now it's an interesting thing, by reason of use. You don't learn it. You don't learn it in a one-shot deal. Right now, I'm doing this like this because right now, every night, I'm going home and I'm lifting weights. One of these days, I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to wrestle him on this stage. And he's trying to make a muscle man out of me. Now, I don't know whether it's working or not, but I'm... Now, I will never, ever, ever get any muscles without exercising, and I may not get them anyway. But I'm trying. I'm working. And Bible says the same thing. I will never, ever be a mature Christian without working. It's not a one-shot experience. It's a daily process. Exercising the senses. Now, what are your senses? And I believe that for every sense, there are five senses. For every one of your physical senses, there is something that corresponds to it in the soul. I can prove that from the Bible. I'll not do it this morning. You have taste. There's something about your soul that tastes and sees that the Lord is good. You have smell. And there's something about the soul that smells the fragrance of Bible doctrine and God. You have sight. And there's something about the soul that sees it. That sees spiritual things. There are windows to your soul. There's there's feeling. The sense of feeling. There's something in your soul that corresponds with that and feels. His spirit bears witness with my spirit. Brother, that's feeling. I'm sorry for some Christians that have no feeling. I'm sorry for some Christians who don't like any religion that they can feel. Brother, I feel it. I feel it in my soul. Why? Because God says it's one of my spiritual senses. Now, I don't base my salvation on my feeling, but it's there. Now, I'm missing one. What is it? Hearing. Hearing. There is something in the soul that corresponds with the sense of hearing. Hearing the still, small voice of God. And you see, this is part of the characteristic of spiritual maturity. When you have your spiritual senses exercised so that you can determine that which is good and right. So that you can determine between good and bad. So that you know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, that person is skillful in the Word of God. He knows how to take Bible doctrine and he becomes self-sustaining. He is in such a spiritual condition that he does not have to depend on other people to tell him what is right or wrong or what to do now or something else later. Now, in conclusion, let me say this. Why did the Apostle Paul put these two contrasts before the Hebrews? Why did he do it? The answer is very simple. It's just that he wants them to go on. He wants them to move. He wants them to see it, and then he wants them to make adjustment to it. And may I suggest to you that that's the reason why it appeals to me is because I see it, and maybe there's things in my life that need to be adjusted to it. Maybe I ought to get off a dead center. Maybe I ought to quit being dull. Maybe I ought to get over some laziness and indifference about the study of the Word of God. Maybe I ought to make some very definite plans and commitments and set some goals about maturing and going on. What does he say? Hebrews 6.1, leaving the first principles. Let us go on unto perfection. Now, why do I share it with you? I share it with you so that you might be able to see it clearly and reevaluate your life. Is your life characterized by lack of knowledge, or do you have knowledge? If someone were to ask you, the Bible says, let him uh, have a a reason, uh, give reason for uh, the hope that lieth within him. Uh, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that ask him of the reason for the hope that lieth within him. If that's the case and somebody says of you, what do you believe about, for example, anthropology? The study of man, the doctrine of man, what could you say? Could you give them the main points? Suppose someone were to ask you about the doctrine of God. Could you give them the concept of the Trinity, the Godhead, the essence of God, the nature of God, the attributes of God, the work of God? Would you be able to give them a discussion, at least a brief discussion on the doctrine of resurrection, the resurrections, which one applies to the church, which is the body of Christ, which one applies to the nation of Israel? Would you be able to give them some idea of the doctrine of sanctification, the three points? Would you be able to tell them about... uh, uh positional sanctification experiential sanctification ultimate sanctification would you be able to give them some points or some information some scriptures about the doctrine of witnessing the doctrine of inspiration the doctrine of the dispensations the doctrine of the mystery would you be able to tell them what what is meant by the doctrine of sovereignty would you be able to tell them something about the doctrine of christology the doctrine of the person and work of the lord jesus christ in some detail would you be able to give them some idea of the doctrine of grace in contrast to the doctrine of law? Would you be able to give them some idea of the doctrine of works? Works as it was seen in the Old Testament, in the proper place of works in the New Testament, the age of grace? Would you be able to talk to them about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit? What in the world is the Holy Spirit doing today? We know what He isn't doing. What is He doing? How much do we know? Would we be able to talk to people about the doctrine of justification and regeneration and reconciliation and giving and hermitology, the doctrine of sin? Would we be able to talk to them about the doctrine of angels, the doctrine of love, the doctrine of prayer? We can go on. Listen, if we don't know those things, you know what I've done? I've just listed the basics. And if you do not know in your mind the answer to those questions, mark it down. It's a mark of spiritual infancy. I'm not trying to be a smart, I'm not trying, that's basics. And without these basics and understanding of what I've just listed, you're dead center, you're dull, you're not going to go on, you cannot go on to perfection. Impossible. What scriptures would you use to document the doctrine of sovereignty? What would you do to prove the Trinity? How would you explain the doctrine of justification, reconciliation? That's all I'm saying. Listen, if you do not know these things, then mark it down. And I'm saying it kindly. It is a characteristic. If you don't know them, it's a characteristic of infancy. Is your life characterized then also by unproductivity? Or do you take the truth that you have and share it with others? If not, it's a sign of infancy. Is your life characterized by an inability to make application of Bible doctrine to your life? Or do you have your spiritual senses exercised in good judgment? Having said that, I'm finished. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer.